we live in a society of sound and conversation and communication, and we get so many messages per day that we tend not to listen to them anymore. But I think a very good listener is a very good conversationalist. My dad used to tell me, you have two ears and one mouth, so you should listen twice as you speak. I'm Jocelyn K. Gly, and this is Hurry Slowly, a podcast about pacing yourself, where I explore how you can find more creativity and meaning in your life through the simple act of slowing down. Today, I'm lingering on the topic of what makes a good conversation. And by extension, what happens to the way we communicate when the world we live in privileges busyness, quick responses, and actionable tips over measured thoughtfulness and an open-ended exploration of ideas. What does it mean that so many of our conversations are now unfolding on this disembodied digital plane? Does it change the way that we talk to one another, IRL? And what about listening? Does our ability to lose ourselves in the meandering pleasures of conversation atrophy when we become accustomed to instant gratification? My guest today is Fanny Auger, an entrepreneur and the director of the School of Life in Paris. She recently wrote the hit book, Treve de Bavardage, translation, Cut the Chit Chat, about the art of conversation. In this interview, we talk about the three ingredients in a great conversation, the benefits of learning to lean into silences, and better questions that you can ask to avoid the inevitable, what do you do for a living, discussion at networking events. Fanny says that a good conversation is something that will change you forever. And I have to tell you that I have actually been thinking about this discussion ever since we spoke. Let's dive in and see if it will have the same effect on you. Why did you decide to write a book on the art of conversation? Why do you think that people need help with that? First of all, I've been teaching conversation for the past three years at the School of Life. And um, I think my life is um, a miracle thanks to amazing conversations. I think conversation is what makes us human. You know, animals, they can communicate, but they cannot converse. And... um, And I think that's what really makes us human, to give us the capacity of exchanging love, friendship, courage, wisdom. That's what makes you a better person. That's how you get to learn things and improve in your life. So it's a subject I'm truly passionate about. And, um, and I've been teaching it for the past three years, as I said. Um, and people would come to my class. At the beginning, I thought I would have only very shy people or introverts, but not at all. Actually, people who come are quite talkative, but they are bored in their conversation or they feel like they repeat themselves like robots over and over again. And they just want to re-inspire their conversation and know how to tackle deeper, more essential conversations. So do you think that anything is happening in particular now around um, the way that we have conversations? So I'm thinking specifically, you know, about technology potentially impacting the way that we converse or maybe even... um, reducing our ability to converse well because we spend so much more time on written communication as opposed to -to face-to-face communication. Do you feel like that's a factor? Yeah, it's true that we are exchanging more and more. 
um, I don't know how many email address you have, how many phones maybe, how many WhatsApp and Messenger and SMS and LinkedIn messages you get per day, but that's a lot. Nevertheless, people complain that they don't have uh, very good conversations nowadays. So um, I think it definitely has an impact, but you know, uh, communications and technologies um, were invented in order to improve our life and get a lot of more free time. But we haven't learned how to use it in order to free our time. To the contrary, I would say that it's um, it's a bit too much, and we 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 are still slaves of it, and we haven't found um, uh, how to use it to to gain time, to gain more free time. You think that you're saying that we're still slaves of technology, so to speak? Yeah, I think so. Now, we hear a lot about digital detox, and um, I think people really need to learn how to, how to keep it on the low, how not to be connected all the time in order to leave space for silence, boredom, which are major sources of creativity. Can you say a little bit more about that? Uh, I think we live in a, in a society of sound, of communication, of hyper-communication, but um, we don't give enough room to silence, you know. I've been working in luxury for 12 years before I was an entrepreneur in Paris, Milan, and Dubai, and luxury is such an overrated term, I think. I think nowadays the true luxury is silence and time. And these are two things that are very difficult to find nowadays. But, uh, but I think we really have to find a way back there. And how does that factor into conversation? Do you think that silence is a necessary part of good conversation or just good sort of social interaction in a way? Um, I think silence is crucial in a conversation. We live in a society where you have to reply at once, you know, the conversations have to be quick, quick, quick. Um, and we don't leave enough room for silence because most people are very embarrassed when the silence pops up in a conversation. Since I had a little trouble understanding that phrase on first listen, what Fanny just said was that most people are embarrassed when a silence pops up in conversation. The word embarrassed is about to come up again in a few seconds, so I wanted to interject and clarify that. Most people are very embarrassed when the silence pops up in a conversation. And usually, most of the time, what they do is they dive into it, and that's exactly when they say anything. There's a very famous scene in Pulp Fiction where Uma Thurman talks about silence, and to John Travolta was very embarrassed during a moment of silence. And it's true, it's a very good criteria to know if you really get along with someone, is to be able to bear a minute of complete silence without being embarrassed. So if you think about it, silence is very important in music. You know, without silence, there would be no music. If, if you have musicians listening to this podcast, they know, they know the importance of silence. But nowadays, because the conversations, they have to be quick, you have to reply at once, we don't leave enough room for silence. To the contrary, next time a silence occurs in a conversation, I would advise people to wait before they dive in, to wait and see what happens. 
I think silence is a gift that you offer the other person. It will allow him or her to think deeper, to think more about it, to take the time to reply and formulate his or her answer. And I think that's very crucial. And what about listening, which of course is what we're usually doing when we're being silent or maybe thinking, um, and kind of how that's been impacted by, uh, you know, living in this world of sound and, and sort of constant messaging as you, as you remarked on. Mm. Um, I think listening is very crucial too. To me, it's one of the three key ingredients to a good conversation. Openness, the willingness to have a good conversation, and very good listening. And with these three ingredients, I haven't talked yet about the fact of talking. Most people think that a conversation is all about talking. I think it's even more about listening. My dad used to tell me, you have two ears and one mouth, so you should listen twice <laughs> as you speak. And I think that's very true. So... Um, Yeah, I think most people don't listen anymore. We live in a society of sound and conversation and communication, and we get um, so many messages per day that we tend not to listen to them anymore. But, uh, but I think a very good listener is a very good conversationalist. Um, yeah, the art of conversation resides above all in the art of good listening or better listening. And so can we go through a little more granularly these sort of three ingredients of good conversation? Mm -hmm. I believe you said there is openness, willingness, and ability to listen. Yes. O openness first, because you never know what this person um, thinks, what she wants, what she needs. You can never judge a book by its cover. So you have to be open to whatever comes. Everything is um, a source of potential discovery, enlightenment, epiphany. So I think we should really consider our assumptions on the world, on people, because you will always be surprised Then willingness. It's very important. If you're not willing to have a good conversation, if you're feeling a bit down today, you don't want to speak to anyone, I would advise you to, to just um, advise your interlocutor not to force yourself. It's really important to be in a good state of mind. Um, if you are not willing to have a good conversation at this time, I would rather postpone it to a better moment. And it's okay. It happens to me. It, happens, it can happen to you. The only thing is don't force it. Uh, and if the person in front of you is not willing to listen or to have a conversation, then leave it for the next time. And last but not least, listening. Um, about the art of listening, I would advise you to listen or watch a very good TEDx by Julian Treasure. It's a fantastic TED with five um, tips to better listening. It's fantastic. Excellent. I'm going to check it out. How would you characterize small talk versus a conversation that's actually meaningful? What do you think the difference is? 
Small talk is a social thing. Uh, it does the job. It's better to have a small talk than not to say anything, than not to say hello to your neighbor that you, that, that you pass by every day, for instance. Uh, it has a very bad reputation because small talk, chit-chat, the French don't know how to do it. Um, it's very embarrassing. But I think it's a social <laughs> thing and it's always better than not saying bonjour in the morning. Uh, but a conversation is much deeper than that to me. Uh, a conversation is something that will change you forever. It will, it will, it's something that you will remember, something that where you will learn. Um, there's a very good definition by Theodore Zeldin. He's a cultural historian. He's British, but he's a Francophile and a Francophone. And he said that a very good conversation, that conversation is an art that has to be learned, that has to be practiced until it becomes dull and repetitive. And I really agree. Conversation is something you have to practice, you have to enrich all the time. Otherwise, you become like a robot, repeating yourself over and over. You make me think of this quote that I really love from the comedian and actress Amy Poehler, that you were interesting when you're interested. Mm. And I feel like so many conversations I have with people, you know, where I feel like they, they're being interesting, but we can't connect because I'm not sure if they're genuinely interested in me as a person. Um, what role do you think that, you know, genuine curiosity plays in a good conversation? I think it's a very important ingredient. I mean, there are many ingredients. Authenticity is important, curiosity and connectivity. It's very important to be connected to the other person, um, try to be a little bit empathetic. But genuine curiosity is very important because it's the art of asking good questions, relevant questions. Most people, they have their questions in mind already and they don't even think about the questions they're asking, like, how are you? And they don't even listen to the answer. What have you been up to? Uh, what's up? In France, there's this question that everybody hates. What have you become or what are you becoming? And you're like, uh... Since last time I saw you, nothing special, you know. Or another boring question such as, what do you do in, in life? And to that, most French people, they reply, their job. But I love the Italian nuance. The Italians say, faccio la secretaria. It means I play the secretary from 9 to 5 p.m., but the rest of the time... I'm allowed to be someone else. I'm allowed to be a mom, a friend, a tennis player, God knows what. But, um, but this kind of question, like what do you do, is so boring to most people. And when you see the unemployment rate in France or the percentage of people who want to change their career or their life, it's a very embarrassing question for most of us. So I would suggest that people are more aware of the questions they're asking um, and to really be genuine about it, to just wait and listen and then rebound on a deeper question, a better question. It's time for a quick break now. And then Fanny and I will be back to talk about questions that you can use to jumpstart deeper conversations, the role that talking plays in developing your ideas, and how to tackle tough conversations at work. This episode is brought to you by SaneBox. 
If you asked me to name the single biggest workplace time waster, I don't even have to think about it. The answer is email. In fact, a recent study found that almost 50% of the time that managers spend tending to their inboxes is spent on emails that should have never even been sent to them or that didn't need an answer. But what if you could just press a magic button and never see those time-wasting emails again? Well, that's exactly what SaneBox does. With just a few clicks, SaneBox automatically gets your email under control and filters out all the messages that don't need your focus. And you don't even have to switch email apps because it works in concert with whatever email client you're already using. It also has some nifty features like the Sane Black Hole, where you can vanquish senders you never want to hear from again, and Sane Reminders for sending email reminders to your future self. See how SaneBox can magically remove distractions from your inbox with a free two-week trial. Visit SaneBox.com slash hurry slowly to start your free trial and get a $25 credit. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash hurry slowly. This episode is also sponsored by WordPress.com. A few of you listeners have been kind enough to email me recently and say that you loved the look and feel of my personal website, which houses all of my writing, my books, and, well, my entire online identity, really. And it turns out that, just like 28% of the people who make websites on the internet, I built my site using WordPress.com. I also built the Hurry Slowly website using WordPress and every other website that I've made over the past 10 years. I truly think it's a great platform for content creators. And part of the reason that I love WordPress is that you really don't need any experience to set up a website. They'll guide you through the process from start to finish. And they take care of the technical side so that it's easy to get your site up and running. Plus, the customer service team is available 24-7 to help you get the most out of your website. Plans start at just $4 per month. Get started today with 15% off any new plan purchase. Go to wordpress.com slash hurry slowly to create your website and find the plan that's right for you. That's wordpress.com slash hurry slowly for 15% off a new website. So in America, as you well know, I'm sure we love to start a conversation by asking someone what they do for work. It's you know, probably the most common thing that people ask you when they meet you for the first time. I think for Europeans, it seems like it's easier to talk about hobbies or to talk about inspirations or to talk about your interests outside of work. Why do you think Americans have this particular obsession? I'm, I, you know, I'm sorry to say, but I'm not sure because most French people, if you ask a French person, he would reply as well what his job is and talk about his mm-hmm. job. Um, two weeks ago, I followed a very good training about transpersonal um, psychology. And one of the first questions we've been asked was, what would you do if you would have no work, if you wouldn't have to work? And most French people present that day were like, oh my God, I don't know. I've never thought about it. Um, so I'm not sure it's like a very... It's very specific to Americans. I think it's a, it's a general answer. It's safe to reply what your job is and to talk about your job because it's, um, it's a way to avoid talking about who you really are and, and what's your purpose in life, maybe, or more essential conversations. 
Absolutely. Well, and I feel and it's it's just so boring after a certain point. Like sometimes I don't want to go out to, you know, maybe some type of networking event just because the idea of explaining what I do, you know, nine times sounds so utterly boring to me because of course I know what I do already. <laughs> you know, so it's just not it's not an interesting conversation at all. What do you think would be, uh, you just named one, sort of this, this interesting question of what would you do if you didn't have to work? What do you think are some sort of maybe other better questions we could use to strike up a conversation? I'm an entrepreneur, and I know you are as well. And I think our work is all about inspiration. Like, we are really passionate about what we do. And nevertheless, um, you would not go to this party because you don't want to repeat nine times over what you do because you know already. Um, I totally get it. But what about asking what's your latest inspiration? What inspires you lately? I think that's a fantastic question because it connects you to something positive and to something that I might learn from you. Let's say you just came back from, your, from a trip to Iran I've never been to Iran, so I might ask you how are the people there, what's the tradition, what's the food like, uh, what have you visited, how is it, would you recommend me to go, etc., etc. And up, it connects you to a conversation that will teach me some new things, that will make me travel, and so on and so on. So what inspires you lately is one of my favorite questions. You may not have an answer to this off the top of your head, but... What is the best question that someone has ever asked you in a conversation? I think this question two weeks ago at this training about, like, who are you if you had no, no work, like if you wouldn't have to work, was a very good one. And the next one was, uh, what's your life purpose? And, in, and since when did you know you had, were you aware that you had a purpose? That's a very good question to ask yourself because most people don't even think about it or maybe they don't want to ask themselves the question, what's my life purpose? So um, I think that's very essential questions and, uh, and it allows you to be silent maybe, take the time to think about it and exchange and converse and maybe discover things together, fine-tune your idea together. So I think that's a fantastic question as well. And it brings me to another question, which is very relevant as well, is what would you do if you were not afraid? That's a deep one. That's a deep one. (laughs) So coming back to, you mentioned that you um, founded the Paris chapter of the School of Life, which is an organization that's very focused on personal development and cultivating emotional intelligence. And I know that you yourself are very dialed into these ideas and interested in self-actualization. What do you think that conversation has to do with self-actualization? As much as you can learn, watch, uh, read on your side, it's very important, I think, to confront it to other people. That's why at the School of Life, um, what we do is we hold uh, classes which are very interactive. It's not a top-down class that we do here. It's, um, it's very 
um, interactive. We engage people by asking questions. We ask them to discuss, to converse together in order to think together. And I think that's what's really important. When you think about it, the first philosophers were conversationalists, such as Socrates, for instance. He was walking with his uh, followers, having conversations with them. If you read Plato, um, it's all about dialogues and conversations. So I think it's a very old art that allows you to, to deliver, to fine-tune your vision of the world. It's essential. Yeah, this is heading in the direction that I wanted to move in of thinking about the impact of conversation on our on our well-being and our creativity. And I certainly find for myself personally that many of my best ideas are sparked through conversation. Mm. What do you think is the role of talking or thinking out loud in creativity specifically? Mm, I think it allows you to speak out um, what you have in mind to fine-tune it, to find the right tempo, the right words, maybe, to confront it to someone else, vision, questions, maybe, that will force you to refine and refine and refine until you get to the final idea. You know, I know a lot of people who tell me all the time, oh, I have a project. I want to launch this company. And I'm like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. Do you want, would you like to discuss it? And then they're like, oh, no, no, it's a secret. Okay, I think that the worst thing to do, because I'm sure these people will never do anything. Like, what, are they afraid that I would steal their ideas? Um, no, I think... Really, if you have an idea, you'd better talk about it to everyone around you. Get many different feedbacks and point of views of, on your idea. And of course, you have to follow your guts and you know better than anyone else what to do. But you can still confront it to the other person's visions in order to, to, to get a better version of it. And if plan A doesn't work, you still have 25 letters in the alphabet. <laughs> yeah, I like this word, and maybe it's just a, a sort of French expression to use, but that you're using the word confront, which is kind of an interesting word to use in terms of thinking about the role of, of conversation in terms of advancing your ideas, that it's really about uh, confronting another opinion or, you know, really testing it out and kind of that push and pull of conversation. Have you tackled the subject of conversation specifically in the workplace? Um, are there places that you feel like we kind of fall short when we're conversing with coworkers or collaborators or even employees? I'm thinking also about, you know, having sort of hard conversations with employees or, mm -hmm. you know, giving people difficult feedback. Yeah. There's another advice because I've been asked all the time, how can I have, I mean, how can I go into a tough conversation with my boss, let's say, he calls me in his office and he wants to speak to me. And most people don't really know how to handle it. And maybe the boss himself will be a bit like turning around the block, as we say in French, before getting to the subject. Um, I think one good advice is to cut the crop short and to, to start with it already and say, okay, listen, I know we are going to have um, a difficult conversation, so let's 
try not to like you know play around etc let's start with it directly and then you can have a chit chat or talk about something else but once it's done it's done and it's better to start with it and to get it done yeah and just confront it directly i was literally just having a conversation with someone who was saying her her boss was doing the uh Yes, taking the turn around the block and sort of kept saying, so we really need to have this talk. Like, I feel like we really need to have a talk. And she was sort of like, but okay, let's have the talk. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the worst thing to avoid it because uh, you know it's going to come back like a boomerang. You know it's going to come anyway. So let's not avoid it or play it around. I want to come back to the technology piece for just a second. What do you think about having um, your smartphone out or on uh, the table when you're having a conversation with someone? Okay, so I don't know if it's um, because I'm French and I live here, but I think that's extremely rude. Um, most conversation, at least here in, this, in France, happen around a meal or a drink. I've never heard a friend asking me to go around for a walk in Paris. It always has to end up with a drink, a cafe, um, a tea or a meal. But there's always food or drinks included. Like it has to come with food and drink. And um, so having your phone on the table is something which is really annoying. I mean, if you think of the other person, what he might think or feel, like you're not important enough, you might, you you would be better with other people who are not here in the room. Um, What I do when it happens is, I never have my phone on the table, of course. Um, And when it happens to me that the person in front of me checks his phone all the time, I just pose, look at him and say in a very kind voice, excuse me, are you expecting um, a very important call right now? And 99% of the time, the person apologizes and just puts his phone back into the bag. And you feel like even if they're not interacting with it, you know, even let's say your phone's face down on the table, that it still has a certain level of distraction for people? Yeah, I think it's um, whatever distracts a conversation, um, puts it off the track is um, something to be avoided. It's so hard to concentrate on a conversation for more than a few minutes. When you think about it, I think it's a gift. You know, sometimes I engage into a conversation with a friend of mine, a colleague, or um, a relation from work, and I just listen, but I'm 100% there. And I might not speak at all, And at the end of the conversation, it happens so many times that the person is like, thank you for this amazing conversation. And I'm like, "Uh, you're welcome, because I haven't said anything, but I'm a very good listener. And I think it's a real gift to allow the other person to to speak his mind. It's so rare nowadays. I think people are craving of being listened, listened to. So... It's a real gift. Yeah, consider it as a gift that you're making to the other person, keeping your phone in your bag. (laughs) Well, and that kind of leads me to another point that I wanted to talk about, which is, you know, we live in this moment where it's very much an advice culture, 
we're constantly looking for tips and, you know, new ways to do things and better ways to do things. And I feel like that's really permeated the way that we have conversations in that, um, you know, we're very much always sort of jumping to, we're listening to someone, but then we're sort of jumping to giving them some advice, whether it's our personal opinion or something that we've heard, um, or, you know, trying to find a way to compare their situation to our situation. What do you think about that? And is that, you know, a good way to go about things? First of all, I would like to underline that giving an advice to a person comes from a very good feeling, like, um, you know, it's very kind. Um, But sometimes it might be a little bit clumsy as well. And it's true that people tend to speak their mind out all the time. I mean, my mom and my grandmother used to tell me, you have to turn your tongue seven times in your mouth before you start speaking. And I think most people now should turn their tongue seven times or turn their fingers on, um, on their phones before they start writing or tweeting as well. And, um, and I think that the best advices have to be provided with care. You know, it's better to ask someone, would you like to have my advice? And sometimes people say yes, but they don't actually mean yes. So you really have to be careful if the person is able to hear this advice. And I'm thinking about love advices, for instance. It's so hard because you can't, you have to stay um, objective and you can't be judgmental. So any advice you would give someone when it comes to love might backfire you then after a few days or you never know what's going on within a couple so I think advices should really be handled or provided with care yeah well I think it also is a way sometimes to sort of cut off the possibility of the conversation because as you were saying um you know from the other person's perspective sometimes the best conversation is one where someone just listens to you you know and gives you that kind of full um ability to kind of explore what you're thinking out loud with them and when you kind of have that feeling like you want to jump in with advice you kind of um cut that short in a way i feel like sometimes Yeah, I agree. And sometimes people project their own problems, you know, in the other person's issues or problems. Um, You know this sentence, oh, you know, the same happened to me. Uh, Okay, you know what? It's never, never the same. So it's not about you. If the person feels like telling you a personal story, um, something painful, it's never the same. You might think you're empathetic, but maybe you're not really listening and you just want to share your story too. That doesn't make a conversation. We live in a culture that worships the self-made man. We are taught that we must constantly be hustling, pitching, promoting ourselves. And the latest and greatest form of self-promotion has become teaching, taking your recent experiences and compressing them into little nuggets of advice that you can share. An act which, clearly, I'm engaging in right now. And Fanny made me conscious of just how much this mentality has seeped into my conversations. On both sides. Sometimes I'll be talking with a friend about a problem or a feeling that I'm wrestling with, and their immediate impulse is to tell me how to solve it. And I think, well, 
I didn't want you to tell me what to do. I just wanted you to listen. And on the flip side, I'm just as guilty. For better or worse, my interior brain houses literally hundreds of studies about creativity and productivity, about what works and doesn't work, that I can reference in any given conversation. And sometimes I do. But honestly, I don't think it helps most of the time. Because that other person, just like me, only wanted someone to listen. Since this conversation with Fanny, I've been making an effort to keep my mouth shut more often, to advise less, to compare less, to recognize that my experience is not your experience, and probably nothing that I say is going to change your mind. But listening might. Next week, I'll be back with a mini-episode featuring Bill Duggan, a professor and researcher of intuition at Columbia Business School. Bill breaks down the two different types of intuition that we use to make decisions on a daily basis and exactly how we use them to arrive at those marvelous aha moments we all covet. The conversation shares some great rules of thumb for when to keep pushing in the creative process and when it's a good idea to take a break and just let things marinate. Personally, I found it to be incredibly useful. One more note, if you're digging the show but you're not on my email list yet, stop dilly-dallying and sign up. The newsletter is a real labor of love, packed with links to the most insightful articles and tips I'm reading every single week. You can sign up at hurryslowly.co slash newsletter. And now it's time for your final moment of zen. How would you describe a good conversation in 10 words or less? A good conversation is a conversation that makes you say things you've never said before. This show was produced by Matt Susich, and our theme song was composed by Devin Craig Johnson. Special thanks to Morgan Rimel for introducing me to Fanny and thus making this episode possible. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to write us a review on iTunes. Every rating helps us expand our audience and keep growing the podcast. There's even a handy review link right in the show notes. Thanks again for tuning in, and remember to hurry slowly. Hurry slowly.